0: I wanted to go back to the book of Acts. And if you're unfamiliar with what the, what the book of Acts is, it's, the, it's kind of the, the storytelling of the early church, right? Why, why do we do this thing called church? Why do we gather on Sunday mornings? Why do we take communion? Why do we sing songs? Why do we do these things? Um, and it's really important to kind of know where we started how we started, why we do what we do. I, I hope you don't do anything in life and not know the reason why behind it. Right? Why, why the reason why you know you you sing certain songs or or, or whatever it is, whatever it even, even your belief system is, that you understand what it was birthed out of. And really, the church was was birthed uh, out of at uh, a very tumultuous time. It's actually even interesting that the church, the Christian church, even survived. Because of the persecution, uh, and, and to be honest with you, most religions that would start like that, um, that were not of God, uh, they, they failed. They, they eventually, you know, the, the person whoever started it, kind of once they died out and they started getting their disciples and things like that. But the Christian church did the exact opposite. It flourished. And in fact, it's now, you know, they say that around the world globally that the Christian faith is the largest religion uh, still to date. And, uh, and it's interesting and I always love to be able to go back and say, well, how did this all get started and why, and why do we, we do what we do? So, pausing on that for a second. If you're unaware, if you're one of those people who do not go on social media, or one of those people who, who don't really pay attention to what's happening in pulp, uh, pop culture right now, uh, a new Star Wars land has just opened up, right? Thank you, I just, this section right over here just got, so, th- sorry, yeah, sorry, Gary was a little louder, Karen. You, you were kind of just more of the... <laughs> Gary, Gary just about fell out of his chair. Star Wars Land uh, has just opened up, and if you're unfamiliar, Disneyland, uh, they, they completely renovated this whole back area of the original Disneyland Park, uh, and they've uh, designated it for a Star Wars-themed land, and um, I, wa- I went on it uh, on social media, and I watched a video of some guy walking through it, and I got to admit, it looks amazing. I've already talked to people who've walked through it. Uh, uh, people who work at Disneyland who got uh, an opportunity to already experience it and the rides and things like that, and it sounds like it's top-notch. And it got me thinking, you know, there's, there's these people who are, they're so invested, and by the way, I'm, I'm one of them, so I, I'm, not, I'm not at all saying that I, that I uh, don't understand, but there are people who are so invested in the world of Star Wars. In fact, I just read a, a, a book all about George Lucas, uh, and it's very, very interesting in the fact that he really it was just something that it was in his head, and he had no idea that it would become the phenomenon that it has has become and I thought well why what 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 is it about Star Wars that just makes it so exciting and so and I really started to think about it and and you ask my, my daughter Bella. I'm always trying to find the, the God story in everything. I'm always trying to find that what is what reflects God in the story. And so, if you are unfamiliar with the Star Wars uh, world, uh, there's there's these these groups of people called Jedi, right? And and these Jedi are these kind of warrior monk type of people, right? They're they're kind of reserved, they're to themselves, but when they have the fight. Uh, you don't want to mess with them. Um, they don't fight with conventional weapons. They use these things called lightsabers, which is just basically like a sword. And um, and they fight. And really, what their uh, their counterpart are uh, these these what these people called Siths, right? Sith lords. They're the they're the be- you know the e- good versus evil. That's kind of the the what's going on. But there's something intriguing about this world because there's something in all of us that kind of goes man, I, I want to be like you know like a Jedi, right? I mean, you go to Star Wars land, and nobody has asked these people to do it, but they will dress up as, as Jedi or as uh, stormtroopers or as whatever, because they are investing into this world. They are investing into this idea. And I think it's because we all, and I, I related it also to kind of the superhero world. There's something in all of us that wants to be more, right? There's something in all of us that says, you know, my kind of boring life, the getting up, the going to work, the the coming home, that that mundane, there's something more to life, right? I want to be more. I want to do more. I would love to be a Jedi. I would love to run around, as I know my cousin uh, uh, Gary would also love to do. We would love because we would love to be able to do things that we normally can't do, right? Anybody else can relate? Whether you want to be a super, thank you, thank you, the youth over here. There's something in all of us, and I think that's why uh, uh, the movie like Avengers is so popular, uh, why the movie like uh, Harry Potter, uh, the books and stuff like that, why it's so popular. Because I think we all we all want to be more than we are. We all want to know that there's something special about us. That there's something that you know uh, that that's just you know, instead of being just so normal, we want to be kind of, you know, superhero-like. We want to have, you know, giftings and powers that are above the natural. And to be honest with you, I think, you know, if I can be so bold, I really think this comes from a place that God put in us. In fact. I believe that there's something about the supernatural, that God is supernatural, and that when we have a relationship with him, we can understand that we can operate not just in the confines of our own natural being, but that there is something about being connected to the supernatural and, of course, through the Holy Spirit. So I wanna just start again, and if if you guys uh, uh, have missed the last couple of weeks, I'm gonna just refresh a little bit but where, where we kind of got started, and we are, we are going to talk today about worshiping God in the darkness, right? Worshiping God in the darkness. We're going to be looking at Acts 16, verses 16 through 36. But uh, recapping really quick, and, and going back into the Gospels, in the book of John, John 14, 12 uh, said this these were Jesus' words. He said, I tell you the truth, okay? Now, when Jesus says that he's telling you the truth, he's telling you the truth, all right? You can just. Understand that he's not lying to you. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. Now, by the way, if you really understand what Jesus is saying, this should kind of freak you out, right? This should kind of blow you away. Wait a second. Wait a second. I have read the Gospels. I have watched the the movies about Jesus, right? I have been to Sunday school. I know the walking on water and all that kind of stuff, healing of the sick. Wait a second, Jesus, you are saying that I can do even greater works? That that we as a church, we're gonna go on to do more and even bigger things than Jesus had ever done here on earth? Now, of course, outside of, of actually dying on the cross, Jesus took care of the biggest thing of all, But in this idea of building the kingdom of God here on earth, he said, you guys, you guys are going to go do greater things than me. Let's look at this other passage of scripture, John 14, 15, just a few verses down. He says, but if you love me, obey my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. And then we go on into Acts. Acts 1.8 says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, even though Jesus is left, you know, it's why, we, you, know, why you can't see him. Why, why can't I see God? I want to see God. I can't see him. You know, I, I want to be able to see See this this person who calls themselves God. Well, well, Jesus, he left this earth for a reason, and that's because he wanted us now to take the mantle and to go build the kingdom of God. But he says, listen, I'm not going to leave you all by yourselves. I'm going to send you the advocate. I'm going to send you the helper. I'm going to empower you through the Holy Spirit. And you are going to do things that you normally wouldn't have been able to do on your own power. You are going to be able to go beyond. You're going to be able to to go up to this one place and say, well, this is my limit. But then the Holy Spirit will fill you up and you will be able to go beyond that. And that is exactly what the early church did. That is exactly how the church was founded. That is exactly how the church was built. The first story we looked at was when the Holy Spirit came upon the the first disciples in the upper room. You guys all know it. We talked about it. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. There was tongues of fire. They were, you know, they started speaking in in other languages. Peter goes out and he gives an amazing, amazing message. The very first uh, sermon, the very first outdoor, you know, leading people to Christ, and and I mean we're talking just thousands of people get saved, and this is where the church just starts, and this is where it just explodes. Uh, and then uh, we went on, and and uh, last week we talked about uh, uh, Paul's uh, conversion. If you guys remember, before Paul, he was Saul, and he was actually murdering Christians. He was actually murdering, but Jesus got a hold of his life. Jesus told him who he was, and and now uh, Paul or Saul has now turned to Paul, and he is now following Christ. In fact, he's. He's one of the great leaders of the early church now, which, which shows us that it doesn't matter what kind of a person we are. I mean, he was even, you know, he was a murderer. But yet God was able to turn that around and God was able to redeem him and God was able to use him. And of course, he submitted himself self to God. So we're actually going to go to the book of Acts chapter 16 and we're going to look at a story about Paul, St. Paul, and a, uh, a fellow, uh, fellow apostle named Silas. And, and it was <laughs> Joanna and I were just talking. We did not communicate at all, but this is actually persecution. We're actually going to talk about uh, a story of how the church was persecuted and how God used them even through this persecution. So I'd like to read uh, the story to you. Again, Acts chapter 16, if you have your Bible apps. Uh, I always uh, like to read out of the New Living Translation. It just, just kind of flows uh, very easily in our kind of modern, uh, uh, our modern vocabulary. Starting in verse 16, <clears throat> one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her master's. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they came to tell you how to be saved. Now, I just want to pause there for a second. I think that it's interesting that here is Paul and Silas, and there was probably several others of them, and they're walking around, and you know. They're the Christians, right? They're the ones that are supposed to be out proclaiming the word of God, and as simply as they're just walking through on their way somewhere, a demon recognizes them in the spirit, and and a demon through this this girl shouts out and and calls them out on exactly who they are. So it reminds me of the scripture that even the demons know who Jesus is, even the demons Demons know who Jesus is, and it says they tremble. that we need to understand that everybody, everything on this earth is in submission to God, that there is nothing over him, that, that even a, a demon crying out calls them out and calls them uh, you know, out out who, who they are. Now obviously, you, know, uh, where the truth was coming from, you know, needs to be noted but still the truth was being spoken of even though it was a, a demon. And she calls them servants of the most high God. It got me thinking about this. Would that be said of me if I was walking through, right? If a demon decided to get all vocal um, uh, on me, you know, would, would, they, would, would that demon recognize me? Would that demon recognize my spirit? I really, really hope so. This went on in verse 18. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and he said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and instantly it left, instantly. First of all, what took him so long, okay? What took him so long, right? Not only that, I mean, it, 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 if anything, it speaks to me, because to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, very, I'm a very non-confrontational person, right? When things start sprouting up, I'm not the kind of person to immediately jump in the fray and, and do it, but finally, Paul got sick of it, okay? And for those of you, and by the way, I'm not relating the two, but for those of you who do have children or work with children, you will understand that there's only so much you can take of someone jabbering in your ear, right? right? And by the way, even though I've I've worked with kids and I have my own kids, there was many times I've wanted to rebuke something out of them as well. So he does this. And by the way, this is showing the authority that we have. Paul is exercising the authority he has, and he even says the authority he has. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. You guys, this is the type of authority that we have. We have authority over demons. We have the authority to cast demons out of people or, or if we are being oppressed or if the enemy is trying to come and push, we have to say get out of here in the name of Jesus. Get out of my family, leave my home alone, get out of my place of work, get out of my neighborhood. I'm gonna be honest with you and, and I am the, the biggest culprit of this. I do not take enough authority uh, in the places that I go to, especially sometimes my own city especially sometimes my own neighborhood. I am more like Paul. I am more just kind of walking around and it's just kind of happening at me. And it usually takes eventually me being pushed far enough to finally go, enough already. But we have an authority in the name of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus said, you know, when he said that he would send us his Holy Spirit and that you would do even greater things. This is it, they're doing it. Verse 19, her master's, Hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. I'm just letting you know right now, you will not always be rewarded for doing the right thing. You will not always be rewarded for doing the right thing. So don't ever do something hoping, you know, if you're going to do something for God, don't go into it saying, "Oh, I hope I get patted on the back. I hope I get, you know, uh, praised. I, I hope people see what I've done." Don't ever, ever go into a situation hoping for applause by man if you're doing something for God, because it's not always going to happen. Verse 21: They are teaching customs that are that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. Jesus warned us, you guys. Jesus warned us, warned the disciples that they would have to suffer for the kingdom of God. We've also had that same warning and, and, and Joanna has shown that maybe even though we personally don't feel it every day that it is happening around the world. That there are people who wake up in the morning and they are unsure, is this my last day? If I continue to be outspoken about the kingdom of God, if I continue to be outspoken about Jesus Christ, is this my last day? Verse 26, all right, we see God come through. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself, but Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. Now let me explain something. First of all, Paul and Silas weren't just thrown into any old jail. They were thrown down into a dungeon. They were thrown down deep below where it would have been dark, where it would have been stinky, and they were complete. And so not only were they already imprisoned, but then they were shackled. Then they were literally put in stocks, which means they couldn't even move, right? How do you go to the bathroom, right? Anybody following me down this trail, right? This was an awful, awful place to be. So the earthquake happens, they're freed, right? And you think, let's get out of here, let's go. That would have been my reaction. Let's get out of here. We have an opportunity, it's dark, no one's gonna see us, we're free. But they don't. And not only that, the, the jailer draws his sword to, to uh, kill himself, and the reason he did that is because he would have been killed anyways by the Roman officials. It was his job to keep the uh, you know, the prison Safe. It was his job to keep everybody in prison. And if anything went wrong, it was, it was his head. And he knew it. He knew his life was over. But I love this story because even though Paul had the opportunity to run, he didn't. And he cries out and he says, don't kill yourself. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That is how simple the gospel is. That is how simple Christianity is, there is nothing that you have to do. There's is, there is no works, there's no, okay, if you do this, then you do that, and then if you live this, and you do that, and you do that, then, then you'll be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. That is the message, you guys. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Verse 32, and they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Verse 33, even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. The next morning, the city officials sent the police officers to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. I believe that there are three major themes or lessons to be learned from this story. Three kind of major, not to say that there's not a ton of things to be learned from this story, but three major, major lessons to be learned from this story. The first one is, I call it unpopular faith unpopular faith. I'm telling you right now, uh, We, you know, I, I've heard it been said and I'm starting to see it, we really live in a post-Christian society. It is not popular anymore to be a Christian. It is not popular anymore to be vocal about your beliefs, about following the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not popular anymore. We are finally starting to get into this age and this time and in our culture it's changing rapidly unpopular faith in John 16:33 it says I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows but take heart because I have overcome the world the one thing that i respect about christianity about Jesus's words is he never lied to us. In fact, he never candy coats it and he never says, once you become a Christian, everything's gonna be great. Everything's gonna be roses, right? You're just gonna walk on a cloud, Nothing, no harm will come to you. That's not what Jesus said. What Jesus promises is that, listen, you're gonna have many trials in this world, but don't be afraid because I've overcome the world. Whatever the world can throw at you, it's got nothing on me. They, it can't defeat me. I'm bigger than anything you are facing right now. Do you understand that? God says, I am bigger than anything you are facing. And really, let's put it into perspective. And, and, and by the way, I, I understand. I live in this culture. I know what it feels like when money's tight. I know what it feels like when our job is, is you know, we're not, not, we're not sure about our, our, our job, we're not sure about our place of work, we're not sure if we're going to have it or not or this. I, I know what it feels like to have our children who, you know, we're wondering about their health and, and we're worried and things like that. I, I you know, I understand when, when we have relationships and we're constantly, you know, having issues with whether it's family members or, you know, whatever it may be, I get it. Jesus, first of all, he says, I'm bigger than all of those things. But we talked about persecution. We talked about what it would really feel like that all those things I just mentioned are actually small things compared to what if we did not know that we were going to make it to the end of today because of our faith. There are places in the world right now that if they met just like us, they, weren't, they have no, <laughs> no security knowing that, that, that well, a group of soldiers would walk in through the door. It's happened, we've already seen it in the news. It's happening. We live in a culture, we live in a place where we still have the freedom to to worship God freely and openly. Being obedient to God and sharing our faith is not always glamorous, you guys. But we see in in this story what God does when we obey him. When, When people care more about their economic gain than winning souls, it's called idolatry. And that's what was happening. Paul did an amazing thing. He freed a girl from being bound by a demon. But instead of coming and saying, oh, thank you, you know, this poor girl, she is, they, they threw him in prison because their, their form of income, you know, right, had been, had been completely destroyed. They were looking at it selfishly. They were looking at it like, oh, see what you did? Now I have no way of making money. This girl was in bondage, and yet she was set free. Will you follow Christ even when it's unpopular? Will you follow him even if it means being beaten and thrown into prison? Will you follow God up until, or or will we just follow God up until it gets uncomfortable? Right? And by the way, I, I, I get to that place where it starts to become, my faith becomes uncomfortable. That God says, who, who, who are you gonna bow down to? Me or the world? That's my second point out of three. Three major themes or lessons for me to learned. The second one is worshiping God in the darkness. Worshiping God in the darkness. It's amazing that these, these men, even though they're, they've been beaten They've been completely stripped of their dignity. They're thrown into a stinky, dark dungeon and then, and then they're shackled down to the ground. Instead of complaining, they worship God. They start singing. They start giving all glory to God. I'm gonna be honest with you, I would have not have done that, right? I would not have done that. Because when I go to In-N-Out, and they don't give me my order correctly, you know how I handle it? I don't worship God. I don't go, oh, praise the name of the... I don't do that. I go back in and out, I find a manager, and I give it to them. Actually, I don't, I make Sheila do it. Because, I'm, because again, I'm non-confrontational, Sheila handles all of my confrontation for me. But, Right? We don't, we don't, our first knee-jerk reaction isn't to worship God, right? When your boss kinda comes down on you, right? Your first thing isn't to go back and worship God in your cubicle or in your office, right? When you get in a fight with your, you know, in your relationship with your spouse or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, or, or a family member, it, it's not typical to walk away and say, oh, you know, I'm gonna praise, I'm gonna worship God right now. It had to have been the power of the Holy Spirit inside of them to take them from a place where they, they literally set their fleshly desires aside and they did what the godly thing was to do. Psalms 23:4 says, Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You see, guys, God is with you through the good times and the bad times through the mountaintops and the valleys. So I don't know where you're at right now in life. I don't know what you're going through, but I can tell you this, God is with you. If you would just dare, if you would just be so bold as to turn to him, worship him, he will show and reveal himself to you, just like he did in this story. We've all experienced dark times. We all, all understand what, what that means. But where the rubber really meets the road or where we truly see what we're made of is when we feel beaten, when we feel defeated, when we feel chained up and shackled, how do we react? And if we still continue to say, you know what, God, no matter how I feel or how I've been treated, I am still going to come and enter into your presence. That's where the rubber really meets the road. That is how you will be able to see if someone truly, truly has given God their complete heart is that despite how they feel, they will still come and say, God, you're more important than anything I'm going through right now. You, it's all about you. My third point, loving sacrificially. Loving sacrificially. This this story is amazing to me. It's amazing to me because Paul demonstrated loving sacrificially, and I'll show you. Uh, First, Ephesians 5.1 says this. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. I'm gonna tell you right now, this is where the world Gets love wrong. They say love is selfish. They say love is about making me feel good. Everything, you know, I want to feel a certain way. I, you know, emotions and things like that. But love isn't. Jesus demonstrated what true love is. It's sacrificial. It's sacrificial. If you're in a relationship right now, love is sacrificial. If you're a parent right now, love is sacrificial. If you're a child right now, love is sacrificial. It's not about you. If you're an employer, love is sacrificial. It's not always about your way. And I, and I realize that that's a tough statement because I do believe in, in you know, the basic human rights and things like that. But Paul demonstrates he goes beyond that. He goes beyond his right. His rights were being violated. Paul's rights, and we even see later on in the story, because he was a Roman citizen, his rights were being violated even by Roman standards. But he shows love sacrificially by even though God, and by, and by the way, think about this for a second. God answers your prayer, right? They were probably praying in, in the dungeon that they would be set free, right? I would be. How many of you would be praying that you'd be set free if you're thrown into a dungeon, right? All of us. They're praying. God sets them free. They are able, and by any right, are able to walk out of that prison. But again, I believe prompted by the Holy Spirit, they say no, because Paul saw a need. He sought of the jailer. He put someone else's life above his own. Someone else's life above his own. And in that moment, Paul did not care about his own situation about his own physical situation, his own momentarily situation, his situation in that moment. Instead, he thought about the jailer's eternal situation, about his family's eternal situation. And instead of walking out of that prison like he would have had every right to do and all of us would have thought a miracle would have happened in and itself right there, he loves sacrificially. And he says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Put your sword away. We're here, we're not going anywhere, we're keeping everybody back. And because of that act of love, the jailer and his family received Christ into their lives. Because Paul put his own life out on the line and entire family's eternal life became secure. Will we love like that? Will we love that boldly, even when it seems like our, our own comfort our, our, maybe even our own life is being threatened or put on the line, will we say no? If it means that person's eternal security, then I'm an, I give it. I'm gonna say something. And it's really not to this group because I know most of you and I, I know your hearts, but it's kind of something that I wanna just say out loud to, the, to our church movement as, as a whole our global church movement, if we as Christians would start living like that, we would see way more miracles. We would see God do way more things if we would come to the end of ourselves and say it's not about me, but it's about the eternal security of the people around me and I'm willing to give all. I guarantee you, we would see a movement of God like we have never seen before. Don't forget this story. Don't ever forget that God wants to use you in the same way. And that if you start to think, I don't know, I don't know if I could act like they did. I don't know if I could respond like they did. By the way, I have the same doubts. I have the same questions. And let me just tell you this. You can't. That's why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. A free gift that we can say, Holy Spirit, guide me. Show me how to love like that. Show me how even in The darkest moments of my life, I can still worship you and I can still love sacrificially. That is a prayer of mine every single day. God, I pray that even though the world may be crumbling down around me, even though I may feel spiritually, you know, imprisoned or whatever it is, that I would still worship you and I would still love sacrificially. That's what it means to be a Christian. See, we've, the world's got it backwards. I'm gonna end with this. The world has it backwards. It, the world says we well, have to dress a certain way. You have to talk a certain way. You have to go to a certain church. You have to you know, be a part of a certain you know, this or that. You know. the, the world says even being a Christian here are the standards. I break all of those. I say the standards are what I just said, worship God in your darkest moments and love sacrificially. Those to me are standards of Christian living. Not being perfect, not talking the Christian lingo, right? Not having the the, the certain Bible commentary, you know, the certain this and that or whatever. That does not make you a Christian. You guys remember the singer Keith Green? He passed away in the early 80s. But Keith Green was an evangelist singer and he said, going to church does not make you a Christian just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. You guys just because we all gather here on Sundays doesn't make us all Christian. It's what we do when we walk out of that door of what makes us Christian. No no standard the world puts on it makes you a Christian. So get that out of your head. Get that out of your mind of what you think or what the world's telling you a Christian should be. But turn to the word of God. Turn to the word of God and see even how the, the early disciples and apostles, how they lived, they lived sacrificially. They loved sacrificially. They worshiped God even in the darkest of moments. And I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. The church back then was not pretty at all. It was not pretty. It, they were hiding. They were a ragtag group. They were under constant persecution. They did not have big, beautiful buildings like we do now and cathedrals like we do now. They had none of that. They were passionate about God, and that's all that mattered. And they were passionate about winning the world, saving the world. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray. Let's pray.